Welcome to the Resilient Sucks podcast, brought to you by the Adaptability Movement. I'm Ben. And I'm Dan. And we're here to give you resources and tools to help you go from a state of surviving to thriving in life. Resilient sucks the life out of you. And while it's a necessary skill, it's one that we don't want to spend too much time in or we run out of capacity. We're here to talk to you more about how to adapt and find the opportunity and change so you can really go about thriving in your own life. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Sucks podcast. Today we're in for a treat. I've got my co-founder of the Nexus Sports Performance and the Adaptability Movement, Ben Haran, with me. So welcome, Ben. Thank you very much. Um, ben does a lot in the background of these podcasts. So if you've ever watched one of these or you've listened to them online, Ben's often the person that takes all of our footage and cuts it up and you know pops up little snippets on social media and does all the sort of the post recording processing. So without him, I'd be completely completely lost with all this. Um, that is not my strength. My strength is talking to people. So um, Ben, the reason we got you on here today is, is early on in um, recording this podcast, we had a bit of a, a reflections session and then yep. just talked about kind of <clears throat> what we've learned in the process of running particularly the adaptability movement and, and what um, experiences we're having in that, as well as some of the current projects and experiences we've been having with um, those people that we're working with. So um, welcome. And one of the things we're going to do today is is talk about your process of adaptability. So the the moment in your life where you learnt you know the value of adaptability because of going through a challenge where you know you kind of ascended to a towards a goal and 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 achieve that goal and then quite soon after that was a feeling of that being taken away from you so we might as well start with that yep. um tell us a little bit about you know getting well getting into the process of of getting drafted and about footy and the build up to that yeah so i guess to start um we thought that you know obviously we were always sharing other people's stories of adaptability and and we have lived our own adaptability stories um throughout our lives and you know there are there are many um instances of where we've had to, to adapt and change and and um, learn from what we've gone through and and i guess the biggest story for me um of adaptability and, and uh has always been um my story of getting drafted and so i was fortunate enough um as 18 years old to get um drafted straight out of school um got picked up by sydney swans in the rookie draft um, this is back in 2010 so you know, 18 years old, um, I remember sitting at the the computer with my dad and my brother. Um, back in those days, the rookie draft wasn't wasn't on TV or anything like that. So I was just sitting there, um, you know, waiting for the picks to come up. Uh, I got to pick 36, whoever it was, took their pick, pick 37, and pick 38 came up and Sydney Swans, um, who I'd had a little bit of a, conversation with but not too much that so I didn't really expect them to, to pick me up um, it was actually Richmond who I was, I was expecting to pick me up because I'd trained with them um, the week prior um, and and yeah my name came up you know you you're sitting there in disbelief and the three of us all kind of went oh, and you know it was a split second or, or a couple of seconds before and we were like yeah like everyone kind of you know celebrated but it was just at first I think it was at that you know, moment of shock that it actually happened. You know, you you go through your whole your whole life up to that point, wanting to to get drafted and wanting to be on an AFL list, and and that's your dream. And and all of a sudden, your name has popped up, and and that that dream has been realised. You know, I was, mm. I was eighteen years old. You know, I remember that night 
um, you know, invited all my friends and, and family around. You know, had a bit of a had a bit of a party um, to celebrate the fact that um, you know that that I'd, I'd been drafted. And and the next day I was on a plane and off to Sydney. So it's, it happened that quick. So um, yeah, I guess that, that was, that's the first sort of. I mean that that was the the point where you know the, the high started to to get rid to sort of. Um, Really, to that point where it was, you know, I was, I was finally seeing my dream and, and actually starting to live my dream. Where, I mean, for for a long time prior to that, there'd been a lot of build up to that. It wasn't just you know one day I rocked up and yeah, of course, all of a sudden I got drafted. Um, so there was there was many highs and lows, you know, in the in the process up to there, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll probably yeah, speak, absolutely. Speak and and we might as well go straight to that now. So one thing you've shared with me is um, you, you kind of you'd always had that vision in your head that that's where you wanted to go with your football. And yep. and I remember you sharing a story with me about when you're at school and you, there was a, a speaker that came in um, to sort of share this um, story and to and to kind of extract things from the crowd in terms of well, where do you want to go with what's your big dream? Yep. And you shared a story with me about playing small in that moment, like to not sharing the thing that you were really yeah. sort of, you know, wanting to realize in your life because you didn't want other people to sort of think, you know, poorly of you or something or yeah. think you were too you know, arrogant or had an ego or, or something like that. So, yeah, maybe that's a good point to pick it up. Yeah. So, um, I guess that, that story you're referring to, I think it was I think it was year 11 at school. Is it the end of year 11, start of year 12 and, and a guy came in and, and did a whole presentation around you know, what, what do you want to do in the future? Like, you know, if you could do anything, what would it be? And, and I, I distinctly remember, you know, wanting to put down play AFL, but at the time I thought that A, it wasn't realistic for me. Um, and B, if I did put it down, that people would just like, oh yeah, whatever. Like, like, you know, play AFL type stuff. And, you know, growing up, I was always someone who, um, you know, I always cared a lot about, you know, what people thought of me. Um, it was almost that people pleaser in a way, um, which, uh, yeah, looking back wasn't the, you know, wasn't the the, the best trait to have, but um, it was something that I always liked. You know, everyone likes being liked, when, when, yeah. especially when they grow up, and, and everyone wants to fit in and whatnot. And you know, from, from a young age, I was always good at sport, um, just you know, general sport, like not not one sport in particular, just just physically pretty good at most things. And and going through primary school and then high school, like. It's, you'd always get teased that, oh, you know, you're showing off or you're trying too much yeah. or um, you're, you're really, um, yeah, you're really tall. Like we have that whole t- tall poppy syndrome here in mm. Australia where you, we try and tear down people down if they're getting, you know, too far ahead of themselves. Yeah. So I learned from a young age that, you know, if, I, if I'm, you know, actually better than people at sport, they'll try and tear me down and, and they won't like me because of that. And yeah. so I, I think that actually probably, you know, stunted a bit of my progress in sport because I didn't try and, Try, I didn't try as much because I didn't want people to sort of, you know, tear me down. Um, but yeah, and then, I mean, going back to that, that story, I, re- I remember instead of putting down AFL player, I put down architect or something, which... Right. Um, Tell us how that's going. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I'm designing a building at the moment. Um, so yeah, but it was just, it was, it was something that um, throughout high school, I... I with the idea of you know post school that that could be a, a mm. possible career option for me, which I'm very glad that it never eventuated that way now. So, um, uh, but yeah, and it was just all around the the fear of of not actually you know not realizing my goal or people not thinking I can achieve that goal mm. or um, 
yeah, something like that. There's, there's a lot of things that play into that. Like there's, you know, there's the whole fear of failure. There's the you know, fear of not being accepted, um, you know, that you'll be labeled as something else and therefore not fit in with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's, there's a kind of, without being too negative, like there's a lot of forces working against you as a yep. young person trying to um, understand yourself, to, to find your own identity within that and to be brave enough and courageous enough to put that out there and go, this is me. Mm-hmm. Like, do you like accept me for that or not at all? And yeah. like, this, you know, we talk about a schooling system that, that gets all of the 17 year olds together and all the 16 year olds together and all the 15 year olds together. Like, it, it's not really conducive to that personal individualized growth. It, yeah. It's really about, well, as long as we get everyone through and we don't leave too many behind, then we've done our job. And, you know, if, and in the same precipice, that if, if someone's too far ahead, well, then you almost pull them back to the yeah. pack because, oh, you, you know, that's unfair on the ones that are, you know, not keeping up. Yeah. And it's, you know, where do we, where do we get that sort of um, individualized kind of opportunity to, to learn and grow um, without the fear of judgment, without the fear of, you know, whether you fit in or not. And I, I think that story is, you know, just illustrates that in that it, it takes real courage, like to be able to work through those things and to be brave enough to say, this is what I want to be. Yeah. Your, your story reminded me of one where we, I grew up in Tassie and, and we we didn't have the same access to kind of you know scouts coming down and um, and people kind of coming in from the AIS and doing testing. But we had one teacher who came into the school that was innovative enough to bring that to us. And my my perfectionist kind of like um, personality at the time was like we we did all this testing, and I felt like I could have done better. So I actually withheld my form because I wanted to go back in and repeat a test because I knew I could do it better. And then missed the submission date of it, and then it never got to go to the AOS in the first place. So there yeah. was people around me who weren't as accomplished athletes that got invited to go through this testing process, and I missed out from that. That other reason yeah. why you know you don't sort of get or reach the, the sort of heights that you hope to in early in your career. And, yeah. Um, so I, I think it's you know it's important to kind of share that with people because there's, there's a lot of young people out there right now going, yeah, that's my dream, I'm going to get drafted. Yeah. And there's there's people that are realistic about that. There's people that are very optimistic about that. There's people you know, pessimistic about that. I think you, you need a little bit of from each column to yeah. be able to make it work for you because yeah. if you're really negative about it, you're probably going to self-limit and you're going to um, you know, self-sabotage somewhat to what you're doing. If you're really optimistic about it, you're probably not acknowledging the realities, which are that not many people get drafted in the first place. Yeah. And of those that get drafted... Something like 11% never play a game. Yep. Uh, nearly 40% don't even make it to 10 games. So it's there's this huge expectation that once you get drafted, you're going to be a 100, 200 game player at a club yep. and that's going to be career and it's going to set yep. you up for life. It's not the reality of it. And so coming back to that and trying to be grounded as a 15, 16, 17 year old in that process, that's hard to do. Yep. So we need people to guide that process and to support yep. people. In, in doing that, and I was always someone that I always wanted to get drafted, but I, I was all, I wouldn't say I was a standout footballer from from a young age. Like I was, I was pretty good, but you know, it wasn't probably until I was fifteen that I, you know, like I won my first best of when I was fifteen. I, you know, there was a few sort of squad like under 13, 14 sort of squads that I missed out on. Um, you know, in your, your sample teams and that type of thing. So I was I was above average footballer, but I, I was never. I was never one that you know you'd look at and be like that guy's going to play AFL type thing, um, and I think that 
that can that's a message for for young people like you know who are listening now is that you know just because you're you know 13 14 15 even even if you're 17 and you're, you're not you know you're not yes you're not getting invited to your NFL club or you're you're not in the, making teams or whatever it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen like if mm. you can put the right things in place if you can continue I mean determination and and um, perseverance is is something that I think got me you know far in my career in the end and there, I played with a lot of players who were a lot better than me physically, um, but they fell off, you know, fell by the wayside because mm. they didn't have the the perseverance or the the mental um, knowledge or, or adaptability to be able to, you know, continue to to further their career in sport um, because you know other things came in came and got in the way and they thought ah, it's too hard, I'll give up and yeah. and never go with it. So. Yeah. And there was, like, you shared with me that there was a bit of a turning point within that junior development sort of pathway and that you didn't make a lot of state teams as a junior, mm-hmm. um, which is not common for someone that gets drafted. And then it was, um, you know, this fortunate turn of events where someone came into your life and, and sort of saw something in you and then chose to kind of invest in that and foster yeah. it. And, and this is this is a great lesson in in sort of seeking out mentors and accountability buddies and people that can help guide you on this process because yeah. you know if it weren't for that you might have just been another story of some of yeah. someone that you know almost got drafted and conversely on the other side of it had you had more of that support post getting drafted well then maybe that career would have continued to flourish mm-hmm. rather than it sort of coming to a premature end yeah. at that level at least yeah so I mean the person you're speaking of is, is Tony Bamford for mm-hmm. me. Um, who, when I was when I was 15, 16 years old, playing at, at Port Districts, you know, I wasn't wasn't getting a go out at the Eagles because um, I was in their zone, and, and he saw me one day and said, you know, who's that who's that kid? Um, like I want to get him out. He was coaching the Port Magpies at the time, under 18. So I want to get him out to the Port Magpies, and I was like, cool, like yep, opportunity. And then and then he said, and then he goes to me um, when we we're sort of having a meeting about you know coming across. He goes, I'm actually going to send you out to the the state, um, state team trials, and, I was, and to me, I was like, "What?" I was like, I was "Like, I'm kind of make that the Eagles team. You wanted me to go out to the state team." Yeah. Um, and it, he was just someone that sort of saw, obviously, saw something in me and believed in me. And um, yeah, he was he was really supportive of me. Like, I was still playing. I was um, on a volleyball scholarship at the time, and he, you know, he allowed me to miss trainings and and do what um, whatever I needed to to make make it work between the two of them because I think he understood the. The benefits I was getting from the volleyball was, was ultimately yeah. going to help my footy long term. Um, but yeah, he was just always someone that encouraged me to to be the best I could be, and and ultimately he ended up, um, you know, he went and ended up becoming a, a senior SNFL coach, and I, I obviously ended up getting drafted. And yeah. you know, it's it's one of those um, what's called sliding door moments yeah. where you know if he never saw me play, like would I have, you know made my way to where I, like would I have made to the AFL would I have made to the SNFL or would I have just been one of those guys who stayed playing at my amateur league club and, yeah. and just you know played A's B's whatever there sure. for, until I was whatever age something yeah. um, who knows I, yeah. but um, yeah I'm, I'm very grateful for the for the um, I guess the support he gave me and also it probably gave me a lot of belief in myself as well that you yeah. know to see someone you know yeah. who's willing to invest in me yeah it's it's a great lesson because like how often you hear about a child that like again the, the turning point in their education or in their career was that one person that yep. they felt connected to as a like as an adult role model within yep. that system and 
like you know, most most kids that sort of um, find their way or navigate their way into adulthood successfully are ones that have had someone like that in their life. So sometimes that is a parent, but obviously you know, we, we've learned like a lot of parents are like, oh, I, you know, I told them to do that thing that you got them to do that they're now yeah. doing, but they wouldn't do it for me. It's like, well, yeah. that's, it's actually not on you. Like that's, yeah. that's their relationship with you and it's difficult yeah. in, a, in a parent-child relationship, but as professionals, that's, that's our job. And we've, you know, I'd say we're kind of good at it. Like, yeah. I don't think that's unfair to say. Like, um, but you know, to be that person in someone's life. So do you leave that up to chance or do you seek it out? Like knowing that that is something that is so pivotal in uh, the, like a child's development or a young person's development, like how can you then set that up and introduce that as an opportunity for all of the kids in that age group to be exposed to it? Yeah. So then you get more people sort of potentially getting drafted each year or a better chance of each piece, person at least reaching their potential and learning those life lessons are going to serve them everywhere else as well. Yeah. So, you know, that we'll obviously talk more about that, but that, that comes back to what, you know, we're talking about with our adaptable academies and some things that are running clubs at the moment. So let's come back to your story still. So we, we've um, talked about that moment of getting drafted, that elation, the, you know, the process of being on a plane the next day to go to Sydney, like, you know, having your name read out and that thing, that's a big deal. Like yeah. I've, I've watched a couple of drafts in my time. I, I got, you know, quite close and trained um, with clubs as well. And, you know, I, I didn't get called out. So I, I understand like the, the opposite of that and the, the way that it's so deflating and you're like, man, like I, that's it, I missed it. Like, yeah. again, like being a late starter in footy, you, you sort of continue to write yourself off until proven otherwise. And so um, for you, you know, you had your name called out, there was a build up to that, you know, someone that sort of took you aside, believed in you and helped guide you through that process. You've arrived in Sydney now. What's what's the feeling like? What's going on for you? You've had all this sort of support and guidance, and you've you've achieved that dream of getting drafted. What now? Well, um, I mean, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy period of your well, it was a crazy period of my life because you know I've gone from being an eighteen year old who well, just, literally just turned eighteen, um, you know, just finished school a couple of weeks before, you know, still lived at home with mum and dad, um, rarely cooked meals or clean uh, or did whatever like I just um, you know had most of my washing and stuff done for me um, so then you know moving halfway across the country and um, you know living with random people who I literally just met that day and um, yeah and then also meeting you know 40 new 44 new teammates or whatever it was mm. plus you know the, the rest of the staff at the, the footy club including like coaches and admin staff and all that sort of stuff um, yeah, it's a pretty surreal experience. Like, I still remember, still remember the day I walked into the club, and um, I remember the, you, can, you can you can find it on YouTube. There's this terrible <laughs> interview of me. Um, maybe we'll link it on here. We'll see how we yeah. go. Um, this interview of me literally rocking up there, and like it's like an hour from from when I rocked up to to me doing this interview. Um, and then yeah, meeting all the players. I still remember still remember my first day of meeting Adam Goods and. Just how big his hands were when I first shook his hand. I was like, "Holy moly, your hand is huge!" Um, and yeah, and just that that whole experience of you know, you always dream of what it would be like, you know, to to play AFL and get drafted and stuff. But you never really think about what's what are those things mm. that are going to happen. You know, getting drafted, but then okay, now I need to move, and then you know, um, you know, where am I going to live, and who am I going to live with, and yeah. all this. Stuff. And I mean, that was all sorted for me, so it wasn't it wasn't my decision to to to, um, to for any of that but it was just you know that whole 
I just remember the whole first week, two weeks, whatever it was, just being this whirlwind of... Because I think I was there for... I reckon it was two weeks before... Two or three weeks before the, then the Christmas break and then went, went back home. Um, but yeah, it was just this, this crazy thing of um, moving to a new place. And like I'd been to Sydney once when I was five years old or something. <laughs> never had no idea about yeah. Sydney or anything like that. And, you know, coming from Adelaide to Sydney, it's a completely different city um, in terms of like traffic and, um, you know, the number of people and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty crazy whirlwind experience. And then, yeah, going into, you know, getting settled into training. Um, I was coming off an injury. I was injured basically half the year before I got drafted. You know, so I had to go through, you know, medical screenings, rehab, all this sort of stuff before I was cleared to do any training. So I remember the first few weeks, I think it was at least two after Christmas, I wasn't allowed to train fully with the squad, which was a little bit, um, like it felt, it felt like there was this, this gap between, like oh, that I was missing out on, sure. like I wasn't fully getting um, not accepted, but I, was, I wasn't fully being a part of what was going on because I was in rehab, so... Um, I, I think that was a, bit, a little bit of a challenge, but um, yeah, I, I still remember everyone sort of, you know, getting getting around you and getting to know you and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, I think it was, a, it, was, it, was a, it was a very, it was a time full of learning, full of experiences. And, and like, I don't think I've grown up as much in probably in that three weeks as I have in, in many, many <laughs> right. months of, of the rest of my life. So And uh, so like... 18 years old, you're already 18 by then. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like I said, to be living at home, to, you know, have you know, parents that are doing the washing, the cooking, the everything. So you kind of yeah. just, you're going to school and you're, and you're training really, aren't yeah. you? And then to get just sort of picked up and plucked and then dropped over here like a skill tester. And it's right. like, now what? Like you'd want to hope that when that moment comes and you get drafted, that you get to a new club and you're able to just focus on footy. And mm-hmm. yet you're now having to focus on how do I cook a meal, how do I wash my own yeah. clothes, how do I live with other people that I've never lived with before. Yeah, I remember even like my dad coming over at one stage and I had to like, you know, I had to get my own Medicare card and stuff like this. Yeah. And like I had to like, you know, get my own bank cards and like whatever. Like it was, it was just a whole new world for me that I didn't yeah. know I had to do all this stuff and all of a sudden there's all this responsibility on me. Whereas, you know, most of my mates are back home, you know, there you go you know, three, four months off before uni starts and they're just yeah. cruising around doing nothing. Um, so yeah, I, I was doing a lot of growing up very quickly. Yeah. And it, like, it's it's a challenge, right? So like, again, you want to be focused on the footy, you want to make the most yeah. of the opportunity and yet you, you're distracted by all of these other things that are going on. And for you being in a separate state, so you haven't got that same level of um, family support. And mm. I, I know how big family is for you. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's, a, it's probably a top priority, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and to, sort of to not have that there and, and it's pros and cons like probably to be separated from that home environment to some degree and to friendship groups makes it a little bit easier to focus on footy but then if you're overwhelmed by all these other things that are happening yeah. well then you've kind of lost that, that social support as well to be able to sort of navigate that yeah. so yeah, definitely. Um, you know it is a big challenge and, and so you've, you've done that you're there dad's come in what happened after he left? Because I know how close you are with your dad too. Like, mm. was there any sort of feelings of all oh, crap I'm on my own again? Or, um, well, I think he actually didn't. I can't remember. I, to be honest, I can't remember when he came. I think they, I think they might have came like a week or so after I'd been there. So yeah. I think the club like flew them up or whatever. Beautiful. Um, and so they helped me get a few things in order, and then, <clears> and then, and then, yeah, I think it was a lot of like each day kind of learning more about. You know, I never, I never, apart from a 
school curriculum schedule, whatever. I never had a diary or a schedule or anything like that. Like I'd, I didn't know when to rock up. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember one of the, um, the first days I drove myself, like I borrowed one of the other guys' cars and drove to training and I got lost and, you know, back then, you know, didn't have your maps on your phone and stuff. It, was, it still had the, the street direction. I pulled out the street direction. And Sydney's an absolute nightmare to try mm-hmm. and, like one-way streets and stuff. You can get lost and can't get back really, really quickly. And I, and I remember rocking up to training, you know, <laughs> I'm walking in the door. Everyone else is walking out onto the, the oval to, to start training. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, and got a bit of, got a bit of a... Uh, I mean, I mean, they'll they'll find about it because it, obviously they understood I was still quite new, but you know, they kind of they kind of give me a bit of a talking like you can't you can't be rocking up as, as everyone else is kind of going out. You're like, not yeah. Adam Goods yet, no. <laughs> but but even in regards to that, like I the whole thing around you know when I need to get to training, you mm-hmm. know what I need to do before training, all this sort of stuff. I just rocked up at training. You know, training was up. You know, it used to be at five o'clock. I used to rock up at four fifty-five and run out there and in my full kit already or whatever. But now, you know, you're rocking up to training. You know, training might start at eight o'clock in the morning. Most guys are usually there by at least seven, um, and you know, doing you know prehab stuff, and um, you know, going to talk to physios or um, doing a bit of extra ball work or whatever it was. And mm. and you know, at that age, I just didn't didn't know that that was. Yeah. I think that's probably one thing that, looking back, that the the club didn't probably do that well of a job of is, is setting those clear expectations of, you know, this is when you come to training, this is, you know, what we expect of you, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I remember it was kind of, you kind of had to fumble your way and find your way yeah. out and other players yeah. would tell you stuff and whatnot. But, but and I'm, again, I don't know if it's what, what it's like now, but um, like it would have been good for someone to just run me through and go, okay, you know, Training starts at eight. You got to be here by seven. Um, you know this is what you need to do before training. Uh, you know this is the the stock standard schedule, but you are also expected to do this, this, and this, and, um, and whatnot. Um, but yeah. it was just very much kind of you know work it out yourself type thing. Which I mean, I was an adult then, and yeah. you know, I mean other adults in that environment work work out themselves. But as someone who's who didn't yet have the tools to to understand that and particularly with all this other stress and whatnot that's mm-hmm. coming on um, involved, it was, it was quite a challenge for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're, again, you're 18 years <laughs> old. Like, I imagine most people on here would be like, yep, I had no freaking clue at 18 years <laughs> old and I'm, I'm sure I didn't. Um, and so, you know, to, again, to just pick you up and drop you in that situation, like you, you need a lot of support. Like, mm. and that's, that's not unreasonable. Like, yes, there's 40 odd blokes on a list, but if there's 12 news draftees or, or maybe less coming in, mm-hmm. Well, then having something you know dedicated to that process and and individualized, so because each person's going to come in with a different set of learnings, a different set of biases, like a different you know childhood. Yeah. So it's like, well, how can we sort of customize that to each person again to give them the best chance of reaching their potential? Um, I mean, to me, it makes sense. Like, it would be an investment in in what you're doing. Yeah. Like, if you bring someone to a club, well, it costs you money to do that. Yeah. You know, you're going to be paying for them. You're going to be helping them get set up. So why wouldn't you want them to get the most out of themselves? Mm-hmm rather than having to turn over quickly again, bring new people in, go through the same process and, you know, getting a minimal kind of return on investment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess like the thing, the great thing about your story is that when you share that, that gives other people an opportunity to sort of um, preempt what might be ahead, to be yeah. able to plan for that and be able to navigate some of the things early on before they reach that point of getting drafted. So when they get there, they can just focus on footy. Yeah. Because you're 18. Yeah. And and you're getting around with these sort of you know guys in their mid to, to late 20s that are very by that point quite successful footballers. They know the ropes and stuff. 
and yet it's almost like, oh, well, come on, mate, just, you know, get it together and, yeah. and you know, pull yourself back together because you're, you're still new here. Yeah, and I think that's what we work on a lot now, obviously, with, you know, the, the sports academies and stuff that we um, run is that we want to help, you know, these younger athletes to understand, okay, whether, whether you get drafted or whether you, you know, make it to whatever professional level or whatever it is, you know, we'll give you tools that you can use that are going to help you along the way. Things like, you know, um, you know being able to, to be more adaptable, you know, being, being able to, you know, create a schedule, being able to, um, you know, create habits or routines or, or stuff like that, which all that sort of stuff, like I wish I knew that before I went. Um, all these different um, tools that they can use so that, that if they get hit with a, you know, some sort of situation that they're not just going to fall apart because they don't know what to do. They, they have the, the understanding of, all right, well, this is the situation. How, what, what, what tools do I have in my bag that I can apply to, to this situation? Mm. Um, and yeah, and teaching them from a young age, from, you know, from whether it's, you know, 13, 14 years old, like some of the pe- people that we work with, it, it's, it's not about, I'm not teaching a 13 year old how to live the life of a AFL player. I'm teaching them lessons that they can, use in their daily life to get to get incrementally better so that then you know by the time they do get eight hit 18 years old they have all this experience in doing all this other stuff so that then whatever they're sort of faced with in the future they're a lot more equipped to to handle yeah. it so just to give people a bit more perspective on what's going on <laughs> so obviously within the business we have many different sort of things that we we do and, and um clubs um business and organization schools that we work with, so different sort of teams basically yep. in each of those different environments. One of those things that we do is we, we work with um, sports clubs or sporting schools to run what's called adaptable sports academies. And the adaptable sports academies is what Ben was just talking to. So it's about how we help people during those formative years as they approach sort of the, um, I guess that turning point in, in a career where you either get drafted or you don't, or you get selected in a state team or, or whatever it might be. To, to guide them through that process, to give them the tools of adaptability, the underpinning sort of commonality between everything we do, so that our job is to lead them through experiences in the lead up to that so that they can find their own way. They can, you know, we can facilitate that learning in a way that by the time they get to, you know, the draft year or, or getting drafted, that they're prepared. They, they feel like they have the tools to be able to respond to any situation rather than being caught off guard and going, oh, you know, and then, you know, having to get thrown onto this fast track of learning, which they may not be prepared for, you know, especially if they're, you know, the way, like, so each person responds differently to stress, right? So yep. you have the, generally have the um, the flight, you know, the run, run away from stress, the freeze that just, you know, like a deer in the headlights doesn't know what to do, waiting for more information maybe. And then the fighters who, you know, can be expressed as either, yeah, great determination or completely imp- imploding or exploding because of that sort of energy that just has to be expended somewhere. So what we're trying to do is help people understand which one of those they are, how they can use that effectively, and then give them the tools so that when they get to a situation, they can ground themselves first emotionally to then be able to make effective decisions and choices on their way to pursuing their goals. Yeah, so that that's what the adaptable sports academies are, and just to again, not everyone knows exactly what we do. That you know, we're listening to a podcast. It's resilient sucks, and and that is is resilient sucks the life out of you, and yeah. we're trying to demonstrate that if you know you need to focus on more than just your coping strategies. You need to understand how you pivot, how you are mentally agile and flexible, and and how you become a great responder, so yeah. that you can create things in your life. You can move towards something special. Yeah, basically, we want to take our experiences that we've. We like we've personally had in in sport in life in in general to then you know teach these kids 
things that they don't have to then experience that to be able to take lessons from it. They can they can go through some um, learnings by doing some some practical experiential learning, like in a controlled environment. That they're not actually you know it's not they're not waiting till they're eighteen years old and they're they're drafted to to find out that oh. Man, if I did a bit of meditation when I get really stressed out, that's actually going to help me calm down. Type thing. It's like, and what kind of meditation works for me, and how exactly, do I do yeah. that, and how often do I do it? So and, it's it's just it's giving them this repertoire of tools that they can just use, um, not only in their sport but in in all areas of life. Like you know, we've had parents, you know, talk about how much, you know, um, their kids, uh, you know, eating habits have become better because of some some of the stuff that we've done with them, and and it was just simply you know telling kids around, you know. All right. Well, you know, if you want to, you know, play really good footy, um, and you're eating KFC and Maccas all the time, well, those two things actually don't align. Like it's like yeah. it's, it's like you know, in order to to fuel your body properly, you need to eat the things that are going to give you your, your body the right fuel. It's like yeah. putting diesel in an unleaded car type thing. Yeah. It's like you, you want to try and um, do that, and you know, and they've said, and the others have mentioned things around, you know, how much it's been helping them with their school and with their homework and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, the big thing for us is that it's it's helping them in all the areas of their life, not just sport. Yeah, for sure. It's helping people be more self-sufficient, to be okay, yeah. you know, doing things themselves, to, yeah. to, to feel good about doing that because of what that allows them in the way of choice and in, um, in the ability to build healthy relationships that aren't based on dependency. Yeah. So... Yeah, and then... And, uh, so, sorry. And then, um, and then, I mean, we've got a, a course coming out um, shortly um, and there's... I'll put it. We'll put a link in the in the bottom here for a bit of a pre-sale to it. It's it's, it's all about um, how to get drafted, um, how, how to help yourself. Sorry, it's called how 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 to get drafted to the AFL or AFLW, um, and it's it's all those key lessons you know that from from again from our from our lives that we've learned along the way that you know is going to help give you the best chance to to get drafted and you don't necessarily get drafted it might be to to make it to an SNFL team SFLW team yeah. um or just even the a grade team or something your local club but it's it's going to teach you these tools that's going to help you you know mentally physically emotionally on and off the field so that, that you can then play the best that you possibly can be and then ultimately if you want to get drafted it's going to give you the best chance that you yeah. possibly can get drafted. and you know the, these tools aren't limited to football like no you know we're using football as a easy universal example that most yeah. people can understand but it, it could be about except you know getting a scholarship at, at the sports institute it could be you know about getting selected within um, your state netball team like there's all these other examples of, yeah. of how this works it, the lesson is more about how do we create adaptable self-sufficient human beings yeah. that are capable of exploring those goals and about sort of seeking out challenge to welcome that opportunity to learn and fail and to learn again to actually move towards the thing that you want. Yeah, fundamentally every sport needs the same thing. Obviously, the the, the skill itself is slightly different from sport sport, but the underpinning, you know, things are basically very similar. So. Yeah, for sure. So we're at Sydney. Um, you you know you've kind of settled in a little bit. You know, it's post Christmas now, and you're starting to get back into full training. Where to from here? Um, so yeah, so started to get a bit more comfortable, um, and was really, really getting back to full fitness again. So I'd, I'd had a stress fracture in the previous year before going, um, that year it was in my left ankle, I believe. Um, so get back to, yeah, get back to full training, um, starting to, you know, get my standards up to where they need to be. Um, and you know, trial games come around, um, 
I remember like we were sitting in a in a um, room with some of the, the development coaches and we were doing out like a goals or whatever it was and you know I think most of the boys in the uh, put like to play like one nap cup game and I remember putting like play one nap cup game and everyone else put it so I was like I was like so I was like everyone else doing it I was like sure why not I want to play a nap cup game and, and, and I remember the coach going ah oh. I was like ah oh, that might might be a bit of a stretch for you you know based on you know injuries and where you're at and all that sort of stuff and and being like I was quite I was quite a slender like I was six foot six when I got there I think I was 91 kilos yeah. um, which for a six foot six guy is not is about big. 12 to 15 <laughs> kilos off where you need yeah, to be especially trying to play AFL so um, <clears throat> like I think in the peak in the peak of my footy career I was playing at, a, at around 100 um, so and that was still like I was still was never a, a big big man I was always a sort of more slender athletic style big man um, yeah, so so a big focus was on, on me trying to put on more weight and, and size and muscle, um, and and then yeah, and then just you know fit into the to the game plan and learn all that sort of th- stuff. Um, ended up playing, you know, I think it was three games uh, in the reserves. The reserves. So back then the reserves were playing in the, in the Canberra League, and it was a bit of a. Uh, some teams were okay. Some teams were not very. We won games like two hundred points. Sometimes wow. um, there were games where we, you know, we won, and then we'd have to do a running <coughs> session after the game because we didn't run enough because it was too easy every game type thing. I remember my first game uh, was a trial game, and I remember the first quarter I didn't I didn't get a touch. And I was right, like, this is my first first game, first quarter playing at yeah. playing at Sydney, and I was like. Oh no! <laughs> I was like, "This is not good." To be fair, though, that in that in that game, I was playing um, like in the forward line. There was uh, Sam Reed, who's, who's still playing at Sydney now. Um, Jesse White, who you know played at Sydney and Collingwood for for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Trent Dennis Lane, who um, was a very handy player. You know, um, Swans, St Kilda. You know, used to kick you know, ten goals in the in the reserves on a weekly basis. Um, who else was it? Like Luke Parker was in the forward line, all this sort of stuff, and I was like, I was like, well, it's a pretty good forward line. So to get a kick is actually quite, quite, quite a challenge. But I remember kicking my first goal that game. I think it was in the second or third quarter. It was like a, someone had let out, and I, I was kind of just sort of leaning behind them. It came over the back, I got it, and I just got kind of snapped around my shoulder from forty meters out or something. And it was actually a pretty good goal. And I was like, oh, that was not bad. And from there, I kind of you know felt a lot more comfortable and. Um, but still always, it was always a challenge, you know, I always felt, I always felt like I wasn't, you know, good enough, like, oh, yeah. I, sh- I should be the one, I was, I always held back <clears throat> because, you know, I'll let, let someone else get it all, like, yeah. like when, but when you're in AFL, you basically need to go, actually, no, like, I'm getting this and if you want this, you've got to take it off me type thing because it's, it's yeah. a cutthroat industry yeah, and totally. you can't let other people do stuff because then, you know, yeah. you make them look good and... All yeah. of a, and you don't look as good and all of a sudden yeah. you're back playing wherever so yeah um, yeah and then you know I think it was three or four games into the season um, we're playing we're playing the Gold Coast Reserves um, at the SCG and um, yeah my ankle just started to get sore again um, basically the same way it did the first time and uh, ended up going off you know um, having a scan and it turned out I had another stress fracture in the, in the other ankle this time so right. um, which you know, I knew it was going to be three to six months at least before I sort of got back into yeah. 
into playing training, which um, ultimately I'd never played another game after that. So, um, wow. you know, I was there for for another however many games and, and was sitting on the sideline watching watching all the time. So, yeah, okay. Um, That's tough. Yeah, it was. And it was so, challenging. And you're not the sort of person that will often share that stuff. as well, It's not that you're hiding it, but like you often like to look at the optimistic side of things. Yeah. Can you just sit with that a little bit for us? Can you, mm-hmm. can you share like how crappy that felt? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, to, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it much, especially in the last few years. Um, so I have to be really searching back to, to remember how I was feeling, but I, I do remember feeling very sort of disappointed and upset. Um, but I was, I still was very optimistic in the time. I was still like, oh, no, I'll get back, I'll get back. And, you know, I've still played okay. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I remember my manager having a chat to me, you know, when it happened, he's like, nah, it's, it's all good. Like they're, they're loving you. Um, you, you get another year, this, all this sort of stuff. Um, and then I remember like, you know, to be honest, the hardest thing was just getting like rehab is the worst place to be in an, an AFL, um, on an AFL list. Cause you do, you're doing a lot more training, a lot like more often, um, by yourself, usually in some sort of dungeon style thing. Right. So at, at Sydney, there's a, there's a basically like a sweat box downstairs, which is full of rollers, bikes, treadmills, all this sort of stuff. And that's where we do all our, our cardio work. You know, you do your boxing. I remember I was doing a boxing session once with, um, I remember, I remember Mike Pike. He's the oh, yeah, Canadian yeah, yeah. Ruckman guy. Yeah, absolutely. H- huge man, like massive, yeah. like absolutely yeah. ripped as anything. Yeah. And we were doing a, a boxing, like a like a genuine sparring session. And he was just beating the absolute crap I bet out he was. <laughs> and like, and again, like not... Not giving, not not going easy on me. Like that's yeah. it's, if you're in an AFL environment, you're fair game no matter what. Like, yeah. And I was just like sitting there, just taking it. I was like, oh my god. Um. So yeah. It, but I remember, I, I do remember, like you know, there would be times. Um. I actually, I actually had two weeks where I I asked to come back home in the middle of it. Um. Well, I think I I think I kind of suggested it, and they kind of approved it or I can't remember how the process happened but I ended up coming back for two weeks just to to get away from it for a while because you know when your life is football 24-7 and you actually can't you can't do the thing that you're you're designed to do um it it was quite challenging and and, you know Monday Wednesday Friday morning you know doing three hours of of cardio basically was yeah was brutal every single every single week so yeah um it does a lot to dampen enthusiasm doesn't it yeah it does and and you know people think about you know being an AFL player and they see they see all the you know people kicking goals on MCG and how amazing that must be but they don't see the the behind the work uh, behind the scenes work that goes into it you know even if you are playing you're still doing huge amounts of work um, just to be able to play at to at that level and um, I remember I remember Henry Playfair was the the um, one of the play development coaches there when I was there and he he said to me one day he's like well he's like he's like worst case he's like thinking about it is that you're getting paid to work out and I remember I remember I was like oh yeah okay that's not and that that sort of put me in a better frame of mind for a while because um I was like well I'm literally just working out I'm getting I'm getting fit and strong and stuff and I'm getting paid to do it basically so um but at the same time it was bloody torture so yeah (laughs) yeah of course um 
funny. I played against Henry Playfair in the VFL when I was playing with the Tassie Devils. So yeah. There's a lot of names there that sort of crossed over across their two careers, despite the fact we didn't know each other until yeah. well, well beyond any of that. Um, and look, so again, it comes back to sort of the whole thing. It's like 70% of people aren't going to even make it to 50 games. And yet, you know, there's this expectation that you get drafted and you're going to be a, you know, have an AFL career. And so you get to the end of that first season and, you know, your managers, so you, you've played three games, was it? Something like that. Yeah. So played three, 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 to three games, you've, yeah. you're back on the injury list, um, but your manager's telling you sort of doing the right things. You're mm. still probably unsure of yourself like and a bit unsure of yeah i was never i mean i I was never convinced that you know i was automatically just going to get another year or anything like that like i still like you know i still didn't believe that i was an afl player as such like i like i'd I'd always be like oh yeah you know it's like it's i'm I'm still young you know The, the the people that rock up i remember like so luke parker was drafted the same same year as me and he basically rocked up and just told everyone that he's, but he didn't tell everyone, but his actions told everyone that he was just going to play straight away. And he, and he played within the first 10 weeks of the season yeah, well. or something. Whereas for me, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm young. And people would say, oh, you know, told people, you know, take a while to progress. And so yeah. in my mind, I was like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, if I play within, you know, three or four years, they'll be good type thing. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I should have had the attitude of, no, I need to do everything I can right now to, yeah. in order to sort of progress my career and play as soon as I possibly can. But yeah. I always just doubted myself and um, didn't think that I was at that level. Like I was always, you know, not. I guess it was a little bit of imposter syndrome, but um, I, you know, running around and playing and training with you know the likes of um, Adam Goods and Tarkinelli and um, you know Jeremy McVeigh and all these types of guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I didn't never thought that I was anywhere near at their level type thing. When, when in reality, it actually wasn't that far off. Like, yeah. like if you think about it, it's it's actually not that that far. Yeah. So, was there any like <clears throat> kind of mental emotional support through that process? Like, as again, first year you've moved up to move to Sydney without all of that sort of emotional and social support back yeah. home. You've now you know started the injury list, finished on the injury list for the year, played three games. Like, I imagine that that could have been quite useful if you if you had that yeah. support. <clears throat> I mean, like, like, like Henry Playfield was, so he was basically my coach and he was he was pretty good um, in, in sort of supporting me and um, like the player welfare guy, Dennis Carroll at the time was quite good, but it, I mean, it was just, they were just, you know, they just check in, see how you're going and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It wasn't, it, there wasn't much in regards to it, I don't think. And I, I think it was, you know, this was, 12 years ago so yeah. like I don't think we're as advanced as we are now in terms of sure. the whole mental health all that sort yeah. of side of things um, so yeah I definitely don't think that there was the things in place that probably could have been in place yeah. um, and I know that you know once I left um, you know once I got delisted and, and left the AFL system that the AFLPA had like sent out a guy to have a chat right. to you and see how you're going type thing and, yeah um, you know, like it, I remember doing something briefly with him, and that was it. And then yeah. you kind of left to your own thing, which yeah, it's kind um, of well intentioned, but sometimes it comes a bit of a tick the box scenario, yeah. especially with a young person who's come out of a schooling system where you're told to kind of sit down and shut up to a certain degree, yeah. And so, then when someone finally asks you for your opinion or how you're feeling, there's a resistance to, sh- to giving and sharing all of that, yeah. Um, 
you know, that to me, that is it's, it's a ticking time bomb, like for, for people to kind of, you know, you, you're escalating, you're moving upwards, you're ascending towards the peak of what you want to achieve. And then all of a sudden, you fall off the side of, off the, side of the cliff on the way to, yeah. you know, being this far from your goal. And then what? Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a big... And again, you're talking about an 18, 19 year old experience yeah. in this. You're not talking about someone in their late twenties that's had some life experience. Yeah, well, basically, <clears throat> up until then, my whole life was leading up to the point of getting drafted and being drafted, and you know, you know I was living the life of an AFL player. Um, and so that's all I ever thought about. I never thought about, you know, oh, what happens if it doesn't work out, or what happens if once I get delisted, or anything like that. Mm. Which, uh, and I remember, I remember like, you know, my dad encouraging me to, you know, go to uni open days and all that sort of stuff and check out, um, you know, to, that, they don't encourage you to, to study uni in the first year there, because you know, it's just too, too overwhelming. Much. Absolutely. Um, but then the second year, they were kind of encouraging me to, to look into some stuff. And I kind of, I, I kind of half-assed did, like didn't really look into it that much. And um, again, I think it was just around that thing of like, it was me being, um, uh, what's the not innocent? What's the word? Um, uh, like I was just like just didn't didn't know what I didn't know type thing, yeah. and and um, and so I just expected it was going to continue. Didn't think about what was going not going to happen. Um, whereas you know you see those players who prepare, you know, who prepare throughout their career, and they they might study something, or they might um, you know, do some work experience somewhere, mm. or or. Get, like do some stuff in the media or something like that whereas they, they get all these experiences and learn all these different tools so then once they're finished they're not just this footballer who has no experience doing anything or yeah. takes up playing football they've actually got yeah. this this sort of whole kit of things that they can fall back on which I didn't I didn't have because I, I didn't I didn't explore those things and, and again like you're 18 years old don't know what you don't know type thing like um, but that, that's really relevant because you know, th- there's probably a lot of you know, parents listening to this, maybe yeah. some kids that are in that sort of bracket of getting drafted and, you know, they'd probably be thinking and reflecting on their own children and going, mm. well, my kid's probably not ready for this. I, I, I wasn't even aware of this. And, yeah. and so how am I supposed to teach that to my kids or facilitate them learning it when nobody's really talking about it? Like yeah. no one's sharing this stuff because again, you get drafted, you play, you're an AFL player, yeah. but then you're not. <laughs> so, yeah. Take us to that, that, I guess, the conclusion of this part of the story in that, you know, you've got to the end of that first season, you're coming back, you come back to Adelaide for holidays, for the Christmas break, yep. and then, like, what happened then? So, I still, I still remember the day that I found out that I'd been delisted, um, I was sitting on the beach uh, at Henley, um, I got a phone call from John Longmire, um, you know, I, I was expecting to hear something around that time, like they, they, they'd said to me, um, yeah, you, you, we're going to wait till after the trade period. Once we, once after the trade period, we'll let you know type thing. Um, trade period passed and I got, got, a, got a phone call and um, it was John Lomar saying, he's like, hey, how you going? Um, he's like, what are you up to? I was like, oh, just at the beach. He's like, oh, are you, you in Sydney? I was like, nah, I'm at the beach now. He's like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, and then I think he said something, he's like, oh, so do you want me to call you back? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, let me just get off the beach and then, you know, call you back or something. And, and one of my mates actually lived across the road from, from the beach where I was at. And so I went to his house and, and was sitting in his, in his house and, you know, had the phone call and basically got the news. He's like, and said, again, I can't really remember what it was, but along the lines of, um, you know, you're, 
you're a rookie, you only get one year, um, you know, you didn't have any luck with injuries. Um, basically, we picked up someone else in the trade period who played a similar position to you. Yeah, um, yeah basically, thanks and goodbye type thing. Um, yeah. I mean, a bit, a bit nicer than that, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't too bad, but... Yeah. Um, and, I, and then I remember, yeah, I remember just kind of just... I remember sitting there and I, I almost, like, used... I think I, I almost use humour as as like that whole you know. Um, Sounds fairly lucky. Yeah, like the whole the whole uh, you know didn't didn't want it to be a big thing. So yeah. I, I just uh, oh, yeah, just got delisted, and then like you know my mate was oh shit sorry like you know, and, and whatnot, and then uh, went and told my manager, and he, and he was he was actually he was very he was he was actually shocked. He's like he's like oh, I thought, definitely thought you were gonna get another one. Blah blah. blah. Um, yeah, and then I messaged my housemate, who at the time um, from from Sydney, who at the time who was who moved back to Adelaide, and I was like, "Oh, can I live with you in Adelaide?" And he's like, "What? Are you kidding me?" And I was like, mm. "Nah." Um, so yeah, so it was, it was just that experience of you know, one day you you you've got your dream and you're working towards that and whatever, and then the next day it's literally taken away from you and um, in a split second and. And again, probably naivety on my naively. part, naively, yeah. whatever, uh, on, my, <laughs> on my part, um, I was like, ah, oh, it's okay, I'll just, you know, I'll get drafted to another club instead. And it's like, and it's, and yes, that, that can happen and whatnot, yeah. um, but it's quite, it's quite challenging um, to, then, to then get picked up again um, the next year. So, uh, yeah, it'll sort of come crashing down. So, as we talk about, like, I've gone up this massive high and then... Basically, fall off the end, fall off the end of the cliff, and yeah, um, yeah, didn't have much to fall back on. Like yeah. you know, I, I, I was going like, all right, now what? Yeah. Thing, so yeah, it's again like it's a, it's a part of the the dream that people don't think of because we give so much support to someone to get to their goal, and that being in this case to get drafted. Yeah. Yet we don't actually give them the support for what happens when it doesn't work out. Yeah. And like, again, it, it comes back to kind of the, the service we're trying to provide or the experience and that we don't want people to feel like that. We, no. You know, we want them to, to have the alternative, which is, well, okay, here I am. Like, it's not where I necessarily want to be or, you know, but I've got the tools to, to, to overcome this challenge. So, mm. you know, when you get diagnosed with a stress fracture again, it's like, well, okay, what do I need to do? How can I demonstrate that I'm doing everything I can yeah. to myself, but also to the people around me so there's this real conviction around your behaviours and your actions that like I'm here for the long term. I'll come yeah. here to reach my goal, which is to play 100 games or two. Yeah, and I think I think that like looking back now, if I knew, <clears throat> if I was in the exact same situation that I was back then, got got injured, and I knew exactly what I knew now, I feel like I I'm very very confident that I would have got another year based on yeah. you know how much I would I would have doubled down on everything then and gone okay, well I need to do. You know, more more video stuff, more knowledge stuff, more you know, you know, speak up more in meetings, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. blah to then um, to then show how much I wanted to be there and demonstrate yeah. it, rather than just sitting there going, "Oh, poor me," like kind yeah. of yeah. another injury type thing. So yeah, but the the cruel irony of that is that most of us don't reach that point of reflection and ability yeah. to do that stuff until at least our mid twenties. Yeah, because again, we haven't had that preparation leading into it. So he talked about Luke Parker. Well, great. He had some kind of experience as a child or, yeah. and a youth where he's gone through a process of learning how to persevere and how to, you know, um, have that both tenacity and conviction in his own actions that people gain confidence from that. Yeah. 
So yeah, when you're in a position like that, it, it's almost your job to give other people confidence in you, not yeah. to hope that someone will have confidence in you yeah. to then find your own. Yeah. And again, we don't we don't learn that. Like it's yeah. something that we fumble our way through, and then we either get there or we don't. It's somewhere in our twenties or our thirties or our forties. Yeah. And by that point, it's like, oh, if only I'd had all of this back then. Yeah, and this so, is, and this doesn't have to be just just sport. Like you know, we we can talk about it in terms of anything in life. It can be work, family, anything. You you can be on this path to what you think is you know your, your dream life or dream career or dream mm-hmm. family, and then all, one day you can just you know something can happen, and yeah. all of a sudden you know your job's taken away from you. You know something happens in your family, or you know the breakdown, or whatever it is, and then all and then you're left there and go, I don't know what's next. And, and a lot of people just sit there and either play the victim or, or, you know, get in some sort of panic or they, 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 in the, they freeze because they don't yeah. know what to do. They yeah. kind of sit there and go, I yeah. don't know what to do because they don't have the tools to be able to deal with this. Yeah. Everything that we're, we're teaching is about, you know, trying to, no matter what the situation is, you have tools that you can fall back onto. So you can go, all right, this happened. Yes, okay, it's not what I wanted to happen. And okay, I'm... Rather than falling off the edge of this cliff, I can yeah. start to build a bridge and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, a great example of that is like it was twelve months ago that you you had all of these massive or over twelve months ago massive life changes and yeah. that you you know had a long term relationship that came to an end. You yeah. had um, you know the conclusion of your SNFL football career by, by your choice. Like yeah. you you went actually this isn't where I want to be right now. This is what I want to do. We had a, a new business like you know in terms of the adaptability movement. We pivoted from just sports performance in, and doing a lot of these things in a, in a sports performance environment, but then realizing we're actually limiting our access to be able to reach other people through yeah. that. And then you moved out of home as well because you were living at home at that point. Yeah. So you, you've just gone, gone, oh, I'm just going to change up four massive life things uh, all at once. And you know the way that you adapted during that as opposed to how you did as an 18, 9-year-old is profoundly different. Yeah. Because by that point, you've you've actually done all this personal development work. You've invested in yourself and in that um, that growth mindset to go. Well, there's there's opportunity in this. Like it's okay. Some of it was a surprise or wasn't predicted. Others were by your own choosing. And and it's like, well, how do I respond to this now, yeah. rather than being a victim of life and saying, oh, well, it's woe is me. And I don't mean to shame anyone when I, I say that because there is genuine reasons why you can feel like that sometimes. And it is a it is a helpful coping strategy for a period of time. Yeah. But if we live there for the rest of our lives, it is deeply unsatisfying. Yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, as you said, that was a, that was a huge point in my life. Like, I guess, a, whatever you want to call it, tipping point or whatever in terms of um, the major things in my life. Because it was, like I was, I remember that it, it all happened within the space of a month. And, and I remember reflecting on it and going, wow, like my life was literally completely different a month mm-hmm. ago. Like, like, you know, there's, yes, okay, there's, there's obviously common threads between it still, but, you know, the the, th- the three or four main things that I spent most of my time doing were, like, completely different now. And I, yeah. was, I was like, this is... And and to me, I took that as an amazing opportunity. So I went and went, like, okay, what can I do now? I, okay, I now have all this extra time because of um, not playing SNFL anymore. Um, I was single, so I had, I had more time because of that. Um, you know, I was uh, living in a new place, so experiencing new things, um, and and our business had had pivoted. So it was like, well, here's all this opportunity. So what can I do with it? And mm-hmm. I started, you know, creating 
you know, things that I want. I started to create a lot more of a life that I wanted to live. And, yeah. and that ultimately has ended up in, you know, me being in a, in a lot better place in terms of, you know, f- you know footy-wise, I ended up playing, you know, the year with my mates and, and having, you know, my most enjoyable year of footy, yeah. like bar none, easily. Um, you know, I've found a, a new and amazing partner who, like everything that I learned from my previous relationship has now applied it to this relationship and it's like spectacularly amazing. <laughs> right, um, listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I describe it. Um, yeah, and then, um, I mean, I've moved again since now. Um, uh, and uh, fourth thing was, oh, the business and, and now doing something that I feel a lot more connected to on a daily basis rather yeah. than doing something which I kind of just felt almost obligated to do because we've been doing it for so long. And and this is a great point. So all of those things <clears throat> change came in your life because, you know, for, for different reasons for each one, but like in certain situations it was because you, that's where you were. And so mm. we, we kind of get attached to what we know, like we get anchored into that situation. And, and sometimes we don't, we don't acknowledge the signs that something is sort of coming to a conclusion whether that be, you know, a job, a relationship, a, um, you know, an SANFL career, however you want to put it, um, it feels safer kind of just stay and just like, oh, I'll just sit here a bit longer. I'll just wait out. Hopefully things will get better. Like I can't count the amount of people I've spoken to, particularly in a work situation where they're just, they're holding on. Yeah. They're waiting for something to change, knowing damn well that the situation or the environment is not a good place for them to be. Yeah. And they end up just self-sabotaging anyway. Like whether that's like consciously or unconsciously, they want out yeah. and and the sooner you can sort of get in the habit i guess of being someone that regularly reflects and reviews their life to go is this still the direction i want to head in is yeah. this still um the place and the people that i want to be around like if money and, and time were not a, a, a barrier what would i be doing differently yeah. and then try and align yourself as closely to that as possible acknowledging that time and money are a thing yeah but you know to have that point of reflection to go actually you know what what is possible like what what else would i like to be doing yeah. and it, it again it takes courage because there's a safety in what you know even if it's not satisfying to the, to then leap into the unknown and go oh like this is a bit scary unknown like and and will i even make it or should i just stay in this sort of safe you know fortnightly sort of wage or whatever it is and yeah and that's i think that's the that's the point that we got in you know in the business we we realized that you know we can keep doing the safe thing and doing what we were doing or we could um we could try something have a bit of courage and and do something that we felt more connected to where we felt we could have a big impact and we fundamentally felt that it was going to be a better life for for us and for the people who we were working with yeah um you know the same in like a the same in the relationship i could i could have stayed in there and 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 it would have been you know safe in terms of the, you know what you know and all like when you're in a relationship you're always like oh uh, is anyone ever gonna love me again <laughs> like <laughs> or, or like it's a real thing i know yeah. it's like it's that type of thing that's like you know you're like what what's you don't know what is out there for for you um and then the, and then the footy career i was always known as a footy player i've always been known as a footy player the first thing most people ask me is how's footy going type yeah. thing and it's like um, thankfully that's changed a fair bit now. Um, but you know, I always just felt like I had to play footy because that's what I had to do. Like, you know, mm. you played until you couldn't play anymore and then, yeah. and then you stopped. But I got to the point where I was like, 
is this giving me what I want? What I what I want from it? And it, yeah. I, I realized no, it's not. It wasn't feeding me what I wanted to, and I wanted to enjoy it more. I wanted to you know be able to spend more time with my mates and play with them before they got yeah. too old and retired. And sure, and yeah, and ultimately I made that decision. And yeah, I've been yeah very very happy with it ever since. So. Yeah, and like I remember having those conversations with you at the time because. Yeah, it's a little part of me that's living vicariously through you after my injury and not sort of concluding footy the way I wanted to either. And, um, you know, it was like, well, do you need to go to another club? Do you need a different environment? Like, what would be more stimulating for you? Where would you feel you were, you know, meeting that need of yours? Um, and when you rang me to tell me that you, not only were you leaving SNFL, but that you were going to play Div 4 with your mates. And yeah. I was like, mate, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Like, how good? Like, yeah. to have that conviction in what you actually want like I had no doubt in my mind that that was where you wanted to be and that you were living that. And there's there's no greater um, feeling for me than seeing someone kind of grow into their own, like um, their own self-worth, their own self-confidence that yeah. had that conviction to go, I know what I want and I know what yeah. I'm worth and this is what I'm willing to do to achieve it. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a, yeah, it was a cool moment to kind of share in with you, just seeing you go through that process and, um, and then realizing that this year, like playing with your mates and, you know, taking the club from Div, not not solely you, but obviously contributing to the club yeah. going from Div 4 to Div 3 with a goal of actually making... Div 5 making, to 4. Sorry, Div 5 yeah. to Div 4, bigger <laughs> yeah. part. Um, you know, with a goal to continue that, that process, you yeah. know, you're investing in the club in other ways, um, both through our business as well as um, the coaching yeah. coordinator next year. So there's this, you know, th- it's it's meeting a need, like mm. to, to do something to with other people to grow and to build something together. Yeah, I think um, it's like I've just got this you know, different sense of purpose now. Like, like before, my purpose with my footy was to be the best player I could be and, you know, play at a high level as I could for as long as I could. And I've, that was always what I said. But then I kind of realised, well, actually, I just want to enjoy it and then I also want to help other people to get better. And yeah. and, and ever since moving to the club, the, like, um, I've... I don't know. I, I, never, I never fully understood people who were volunteers and gave up all their time... Um, for year after year after year for the club, mm. I'm like, what what are they getting out of it? But then you know, the more I invested in in a local club, and the more I sort of you know did more stuff with people, I'm like, okay, I get this now. I get why yeah. people. It's like it's 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 not about me. It's not about it. It has nothing to do with me or my status or or what I you know get out of this. This is this is actually like how can I help you know these kids get better? How can I help mm. um, you know the club become a bigger, better club type yeah. thing? And it's, because if you do that, it feeds all of us. Exactly, like that, yeah. That concept of mutual benefit that we talk so much about, like yeah. whatever, whenever you go into a new relationship, whether that be you know with other people in the club, whether it be with a partner, you know, the idea being that how do we make this work for both of us? Mm. We have this idea in society that we have to leverage as best you know, we can because there's not enough, so yeah. we need to get more than our fair share to make sure that we'll be okay. And and it's very dehumanizing. It's very transactional. Whereas when we can sort of take a step back for that and go, actually, there's enough for everyone. Like there is, with an abundance mindset, we can create enough for both of us. In fact, we can probably create more than enough for just the two of us. And you invest in that. And and to me, like, it feels obvious now. Like I I doubt that I always had that kind of view of it. But, you know, this is a reason why we're so passionate about teaching that as well, to go into clubs and to help them realize that possibility of, you know, people are going to give more freely if they feel connected to yeah. other people at the club, if they feel connected to the brand that the club stands for, the values that the club stands for. 
So like, let's invest in that and let's do that in a way where people feel heard and they feel welcome and they feel like they have an opportunity to contribute, which is not based on their status at the club. Yeah. It's based on, on just their willingness to, to give. Um, and it, it comes so free and easy with that without all the hang-ups of the bitterness and the resentment and the, um, the chip on the shoulder and the undermining of someone else because of ego. And you know, there's all of these destructive behaviors that creep in when we operate from that, that scarcity mindset and that, that sort of just survival mindset. When we flip that to abundance and to adaptability, like it's infinite possibility. Mm. It's, it's freaking cool, which yeah. is why we're here. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. So... Um, so again, we'll come back to the Adaptable Academy. So again, just one of the things that we do, we obviously work <clears throat> with organizations um, you know, in business as well as sporting clubs, as well as schools, but we're specifically talking about these Adaptable Academies which run mm -hmm. in sports clubs and in, in sports schools. So how, like what, what is the process that, well, I obviously know what the process is, but like what, what do you need to, sh or what can we share about the process to make it really easy for people to understand how to get involved and what, what that entails? Like if you're going to come in and sign in up for an adaptable yeah. academy and you're going to run that within your club like Lockleys, like Woodville um, Rugby Club and, and you know, there's more that we'll be launching and, and um, announcing in the next couple of months. But like where, where does it start? Like what's the process? Yeah. Um, well, I guess the first thing is to understand like why we do it and why, what sort of clubs like it would be the right fit for. And since for, for, for clubs who want to invest more in their, their players that, that actually see that a football club or a netball club or a tennis club or whatever it is, is actually a place where you can actually have a big impact on a young person's life and a positive impact. And mm. um, so it's about, you know, helping them to develop all these tools so that, that, you know, if they do get to the point where they're, you know, up this high <coughs> or at the lowest of lows, and you know they might be sort of almost falling off this cliff. They actually have the tools that they can get, pull themselves back and go. Actually, no, this yeah. is this is um, how I'm going to you know navigate this situation and how I'm going to create more opportunity and be more adaptable and, and yeah. whatnot. Um, yeah, and like I mean, it's it's been something that you know from a club's point of view as well. It's been huge in terms of the clubs we've been working with. You know, retention of players, recruitment's been through the roof. Um, and then just the overall feel from you know parents, people in the club, it's just it's just making a, such a greater environment it's, to be. It's around. building a more connected community, really, yeah. isn't it? Like so, and, and one which is made up of people that are, you know, that are adaptable, mm. that that are like giving and wanting to invest in in that community because yeah. it's also serving them. Yeah. But not just because it's serving them. Mm. So um, then, yeah. So and like, <coughs> so in terms of of getting it, like we've got. Uh, I mean, you can go to the the website. Um, the adaptability movement dot world forward slash academies uh, and you can find out more there but basically if you want to you know have a, have a conversation with us you know hit us up um, you'll be able to find our contact information whether it's via email or phone uh, and we can have a chat to you about you know what's the best process for your club you know we, we have a range of different topics which we cover um, we usually do it on a monthly basis so um, whether it's you know across the, the span of the whole year we do you know one session a month type thing um, some's physical, some's mental, emotional side of things. So, it's everything's done in a practical and experiential way, so that um, the athletes, it's not just like sitting in the classroom and learning. It's it's they're actually getting they're actually getting an experience of everything that we're talking about, and they're, they're starting to put it in place, so that then they can you know have an action plan as to how they can implement it into their lives, yeah. um, and and whatnot. So, 
yeah, um, just just get in touch with us, and and um, we'll be more than happy to chat you through the process of, of yeah. how to go about it. And you know, we can come present to your boards or your committees or whoever it, whoever it might be, and um, you know, we can speak to the benefits of, of what it's going to do for your players, for your club, for, yeah. for the whole community. Yeah, and also the risks that it mitigates because some yeah. of the clubs that we're currently working with, the the relationships come about because they needed to address a, a high priority need. Yeah, like they'd lost people through suicide or through mental health issues. Um, you know, they'd had significant fractures in relationships and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. Like both that you don't have to be in that position already to, to bring us in to be able to invest yeah. in that community, but also you don't need to go through that yourself to then have to get to a point where you start investing in yeah. this stuff. It's, a, it's about going, well, more is possible. And, you know, there is a lot of trauma that's existed, particularly in the last three years with um, everything that's happened with you know lockdowns and mask wearing and social isolation and all these massive massive changes to the way we operate in society and throughout that like a lot of people have lost their social support or they've retreated because of that conflict or that stress that's existed yeah. in that environment and these are supposed to be safe places if we can't you know feel safe in our community in our team mm. then where can we feel safe no. So to me, like I, I think there's a, a really profound impact that can be had and a, a necessary one by investing in your club and community in this way because again, you're just you're just helping people feel better and perform better. Like yep. it's a it's a simple recipe from our point of view. Yeah. Um, and you're doing it in a way that's fun and engaging and easy. Like mm -hmm. it's like I said, it's experiential. It's practical. We're not we're not pulling out the books and going, okay, sit down. We've got lesson two and chapter four, and yeah. like, have you read it and all this sort of stuff. It's actually like, hey, let's go and let's go and do this. Let's yeah. go and try this and test it and see see how it works for you. And it's kind of gotten to the point now in society where, it, I mean, the bigger risk is to not do something these mm. days. Is like you know you can. You can sit back and go, ah, oh, it's not our problem, nothing to this, and then all of a sudden something happens, and, <coughs> and then that's that's when you get into the like the, the trouble starts happening. So it's it's almost you know yes, okay, there's a, there's obviously a, a commitment in terms of you know time, financials, all this sort of stuff, but it's it's almost like you know what are you what are you missing out? Like what are you risking by not you know committing those things? Like it's are you going to be a club that sort of you know, sits around and does it the way things everything's always been done or, you know, how are you gonna be a club like the ones we worked with and they they want to do things differently. They wanna they wanna um, give the the club experiences that they've never had before and and not just um, follow the same path that that's the way yeah. things always been done. Yeah. Um, like we've been fortunate enough um, to obviously work with Lockley's Footy Club and, and do a lot around their strategic plan of um, you know the branding of of, of yeah. what they want. You know a Lockley's yeah. player to be like. You know what they want the coaches, the the whole yeah. the, the the volunteers, everything. The whole the whole club. Like what does Lockley stand for, and and who who is someone that sort of represents Lockley's, and what does that look like type thing. Yeah. And and that's going to be something that you know we're going to continue to work with them moving yeah. forward. And and it's uh, yeah, it's really exciting because it's for us in terms of you know we get to to play that role. In, you know this just this. this we hope to get shaped of yeah, yeah. and innovation, like yeah. in a way that can make things better, like to, can make a community come together and yeah. feel more connected, again, safer, more valued. Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate that we've, we've been a part of many, many different clubs ourselves, you know, of all different sports, you know, all different levels. Um, some really good, some not so good. So, um, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of experience yeah. in terms of helping people to understand um, 
what what works and what doesn't work and um yeah. i mean you can have a you can have something on a piece of paper and it looks good but if you've never actually done it yourself like how do you know that it's actually going to work yeah. type thing so yeah and like we we've been you know into university both as students as well as you know going back and teaching and those kind of things as well so it's not to d- diminish the academic side of it like we've mm. we've got that like we've yeah. had that experience but it's also like you got to go and test it yeah. and then you got to review it and then you got to tweak it and you got to re-implement it and I guess that's more the point is that like you know it, it is it's all good and well to say we're going to go and get insert you know professional um, title here but it's like you know like you can you can go to one physiotherapist and go to another physiotherapist and it can be vastly different outcomes yeah. you can go to a you know a naturopath versus a doctor and one will work for one and one will work better for another but like it, it's really that individualized relationship of how you know, you, you communicate and how you interact with that community. And that's the thing we feel really good about. Yeah. Um, and, and as we said, it's not limited to footy clubs. We use that as an example today, but we're also working with Brighton Surf Lifesaving Club. We um, work with CV High School and other organizations like that. So we've had an opportunity to, again, influence the direction of their vision and, and their community. And, and that's the part that's satisfying for us. When we talk about mutual benefit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there there is an exchange of money because that's part of how we you know meet our fundamental human needs and pay rent and food and the rest of it. But it's that interaction of of emotional energy in terms of like sharing in someone else's vision and and goals and being part of that process of you know failing a few times and learning from that and recovering from it to respond really well and to actually move towards what you want. That's exciting for us. So um, again, we'd we'd invite you to get in contact. Head to the adaptabilitymovement.world. Um, if you haven't signed up to the or subscribed to the podcast already, we, we'd love it if you could do that for us and give us a review. Um, all of those things just help us reach more people, and, and hopefully, if you're finding it useful, then someone else um, you know, near and dear to you yeah. might as well. So, and we'll uh, also put our ebook down below, or you can find it on our website as well. So, yeah, so to... always check the show notes. There's always yeah. some little tidbits and gold nuggets in there that we try and throw in for, for free yeah. as well. So, yeah, thanks. 